Don't miss the great deals at the Utah RV Super Show, September 12th to the 15th at the Mount America Expo Center. Visit utahrvsupershow.com for information and discount passes. What will you be doing in 2034 when BYU and Boise State wrap up the 10-year football contract they just announced? Oh, for the Cougars' sake, I'm watching a more competitive series because they're what? They played nine, and I think it's two and seven? It is. Seven wins for the Broncos, two for the Cougars. That's just not enough. Games have been competitive, but Boise yeah, State has I mean, won the vast majority it's of those winning close games. games. And the goal isn't to be competitive. The goal is to win the game. 28-27 and 7-6. to six. I mean, you could spin it. Utah's in the Pac-12, and so they got the advantages, which obviously they do. But Boise State's and, in the Mountain West, yeah. so you got to be better than two and seven. Yeah. Enough of these close losses. If you have nine games and you've only won two, I don't care if all seven of them are decided by one point. You've got to find a way to win them. It goes back to your theory you were talking about uh, as a Pac-10 and then Pac-12 fan. If your team can win seven out of ten in a rivalry, you're happy. And Boise State's already done that with BYU because they've won seven yeah, out I've of Yeah, I've always felt that for me against any team in the conference, if the Devils won seven out of ten – any 10-year period, I would take that every single time. Because they're not SC. They're not the Oregon tradition, whatever it might be. They don't have Oregon's money and SC's tradition. Yeah, they are so who they think are. that you're going to win 8 yeah. or 9 out of 10 is That's a reach. That's off the charts. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a reach. Yeah, I would take 7 out of 10. You might get somebody if you know the wheels come off the way Colorado yeah, for has some, for the last decade. For some bizarre decade. reason, the Devils did win 10 in a row against Washington. That really makes no sense. Right. Even acknowledging that it may, you know, Washington had a down spell, mm-hmm. you still yeah. wouldn't think you get ten in a row. Right, but that's unusual. I have to, and the flip side of it, I think they had lost more than double digits in a row to Oregon, which at least makes sense because Oregon went through, you know, the best period of football they've ever had. But still, you might think you pick up. And, and I, two. I would think that the Cougars, you've got to be at least looking at. Uh, half of the games you need to win against these guys. And then that 10-year deal that they've extended, that they should find a way to win at least five. There's no reason not to. Giancarlo says, in 2034, I will be using some type of virtual reality to feel every hit, smell every smell, and feel every drip of sweat from the comfort of my house in the first colony on Mars. <laughs> If I have, a, if a I have ocean view property years. in Mars, maybe. Ooh. You know, it might be cheaper. Chef Tom Woodbury says, what'll I be doing in 2034? Same thing I do every college football weekend. Hoping BYU gets beat 671 to nothing. Piling it on there, Chef Tom. That's a big score. <laughs> uh, Nate Blog says... Me and you for life, dad of two, we will both be at the game. That's not bad. Yeah, oh, yeah. 15 yeah, years, yeah. you know, you're out there. That's great. Hanging with family and friends, going to games. That's fun. <laughs> I'd encourage that. Nathan says perhaps they'll be playing in the state of Boise at that time. Boise's going to, like, break away from the rest of Idaho. It already has. Oh, it has? Yeah. Oh, have you been there? <laughs> I have been there. I didn't notice. No, you've been there recently? Uh, well, probably not in five years. Maybe more. That's changed dramatically. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Riley, good morning. Good morning, dudes. 
Riley, right, I don't know if you know this, but you're joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lisa and Hand said, get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. I did know that, and uh, <laughs> you do a great job. You do a great job of highlighting the Sprint, the Sprint Hotline. All right, Riley, it's BYU and it's USC, and USC's quarterback just looked off the charts. How do you Didn't slow he? down a quarterback who looked that good? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because there, there, there is some part to this that you know there wasn't a lot of film on this guy. You don't, you don't really know how to take away some of the things that he does well. And now that you have film, there's a, there's a little bit of an opportunity. But there was just so many good things from him. I, I was watching that game and I was like, who is this guy? Like I, I'm googling him. I'm trying to figure out like where does this guy come from. You know, he wasn't a huge recruit. Part of the reason he wasn't a huge recruit is because he wasn't on a great team. But I'm telling you, this guy, he has an it factor. And I think both for BYU and Utah, like, I, I think you have to be a little bit disappointed that this guy might even be better than than the first quarterback that got hurt. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. But if you want to slow down this quarterback – I think there's two things that you try to do as a defense coordinator. One, you try and take away his first read. And two, you try and get him to, to, to move the spot that he's throwing from. Meaning, if I've got a three-step drop or if I've got a three-step drop and a hitch, you want him to at least have to move off of that before he throws the ball because accuracy seems to go down quite a bit, even if you don't get a sack, if a quarterback doesn't get to throw in rhythm. And so I think those are going to be two keys to the game this Saturday for sure. So do you think that the number one uh, desire or choice or option for the Cougars should to get pressure on this kid no matter what and whatever it takes, even if you give up some vulnerability in the back end? I, I kind of don't think that. Okay. I, I mean, it, it's interesting because you, there's two ways to attack a young quarterback. There's one where you, you want to make a guy be patient you want to make a guy really just take what they give, take take what they give you. Meaning, you take away the deep options. You maybe drop some different guys into some different looks, and then um, make him just take the short throw and be really patient all game. Because after the game that he had last game, uh, there wasn't a lot that was taken away, and so he's probably looking. He's probably looking forward to playing in this game and like, yeah, this can be the way it is, man. I'm, I'm going to stand in there. I'm going to throw digs. I'm going to throw outs. I'm going to throw nice seam routes, and we're going to win this game. But if you can just take him out of the mindset that he was already in in some way, and that that could include some pressures, but mixing it up, maybe maybe go on a three man rush and drop eight guys, and really make it difficult for him to just be able to throw it. Um, but you got to make him uncomfortable because, man, I, I haven't seen a guy in his first real start look as comfortable as he did um, just the other night against Stanford. You know, the risk with bringing uh, extra bodies is you're going to leave guys one-on-one with a bunch of 6'3", six, 6'4", six, receivers. They just seem to have no end. I mean, at the top end, they've got you know probably at least three NFL guys, maybe more than that. But – all the young guys are bringing in look like nightmare matchups too. And you've talked about throwing into an NFL receiver and how much better it made you as a quarterback. So I nope, get that nope. you want to pressure him, but man, leaving a bunch of 
<laughs> Leaving a bunch of defensive backs one-on-one with 6'4 future NFL draft picks sounds like a pretty dangerous idea. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I Look, there's always going to be a certain time that you need to bring pressure and you need to bring extra guys, but every defensive coordinator, if he had his druthers, would love it if he can bring pressure on the quarterback with his front four and not have to blitz guys because then you get coverage. Then you, then you have your, your four guys rushing the quarterback and you don't have to worry about it. But like you said, when when you have NFL-type receivers that you're throwing to, well, I mean, one of the things that was so great when I was playing with Kevin Curtis is that all of a sudden you become more accurate because you know he's going to catch even the bad ball. And so there's no pressure to be perfect. There's no pressure to, like, you know, there's some receivers that you throw to that if you don't put it right on his face mask, that guy's not going to catch the ball. That guy's extremely hard to be accurate with. When you have a guy like Kevin Curtis, who you know is just going to make all kinds of efforts to catch the ball, and his catching radius is ridiculous, all of a sudden you start putting it on his face mask all the time and football becomes really easy. And so with these receivers at USC, uh, like you said, they're 6'3", they're 6'4", they can run, they have huge catching radius. All of a sudden it's really fun to play quarterback because you don't have to be perfect. And because you don't have to be perfect, all of a sudden you start throwing more accurately. Yeah, I understand that concept, certainly. Uh, I mean, and this is so, so minor, but I played baseball with a kid. They had a first base who who had stone hands. And if you didn't put it right right on the numbers, he wasn't going to catch it. And then they replaced him with a guy who was like Gumby. I mean, he could stretch his body every which way and make every throw you threw over there. And consequently, all your throws were right on the number. I mean, it, I it, it was it was a phenomenal changeover. The better the player at the other end, the better the throw was on my end. Yeah, and it and it can work, and it can work the other way too. I mean, when it, when a quarterback's really good, he can make receivers look good too. And so, but it, it, there really is a psychological feel to the fact when you when you're playing around great players, um, the fact that you don't have to put it right where you need to, just like you're talking about throwing to your first baseman. And not having to worry if you throw one hopper, he's gonna he's gonna scoop it up for you. All of a sudden, you just start throwing better because you, your worry is not like is this guy gonna catch it. Your worry is am I gonna get it over there quick enough? Am I gonna put it? Am I gonna put it in the right window for him to catch it? And I I just think that's a big thing this week. I also thought, I mean, we've always known that USC is just stacked with talent, but I thought their run game, I thought their court, I. I thought their offensive line was better than what I thought they were going to be. And it's really hard for me to think because when I was watching the Fresno game, I was like, ah, USC, here they they go again. Could it really be that just one player, like one quarterback, makes that big of a change and that big of a difference? Maybe, because that looked like a completely different team against Stanford to me. So I'm curious here, and this, you know, I, I, I kind of shoot down my own theory right away because they were down 17-3 and they fought back and got off the deck. But the offense was struggling, but I didn't think the quarterback necessarily was. And in the Tennessee game, I thought BYU was struggling a little bit defending Tennessee's pass. I thought Tennessee's passing game was effective through the first half. It wasn't great, but it was, it was good. And then BYU gets the pick early in the third quarter. And not only did they get the short field and the touchdown to make it a 13-10 game, but 
I thought going forward, the passing game became really tentative and really pretty ineffective. And BYU pretty made them one-dimensional. And I wonder how much that was just mentally they got that pick, and then you're thinking, be careful. And the Tennessee passing game wasn't what it was in the first half. If they get an early sack, if they get an early pick, how much easier does that make it for BYU going forward in the game? Well, I think it would make it easier against a team like Tennessee where they don't have a ton of confidence in their quarterback. But, right. I mean, you could see from the coaching staff all the way down to the to the, to, to the lowest player on the team at USC that they have confidence in this quarterback. Now, is he going to throw picks? Yes. Is it, are, are you going to get a sack? Yes. I, I think those two things will happen in this game. But I don't think it will have the same effect because I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that, that interception by Kavika Fanua was – First of all, he had a tip in the first half that they lucked out and got a touchdown. And sometimes that becomes full gold for you as a quarterback. You're like, well, it wasn't a pick, and I threw a touchdown, and I'm feeling good. They threw better in the first half. But but after that interception, I totally agree with you. It it was like they were scared to death to throw the ball. Yeah. I mean, they were they were so nervous. And I and I'm I think you're right. I think they became completely one dimensional. And I, you know, going into once once BYU made it into overtime, I was like, this game's over because they they can't throw, they can't throw. And then there was a couple of bad play calls by Tennessee. Okay, you know, and you got to give credit. You know, the one thing that I like about the the game is oftentimes you. You know, I can't remember exactly how many seconds before that last that last throw to Micah Simon. I know it ended at like seven, but you know, you're talking about 20 seconds. You got to go like 80 yards to score. A lot of times, it's really easy to just cash it in as a team. And it's one thing for Micah Simon to get open the way he was. It's another thing for the quarterback to actually see it within his progression and the reads. I mean, that was a, that was a big play, and I, I do feel like that's going to build some confidence for the BYU offense this Saturday. And I think it'll be, I think it'll be a very very close game um, for about three quarters, and then I think at the end, I think you're just going to see that USC has too much firepower. <laughs> Well, going forward, and, and that very well may be the case, you know, but uh, BYU would then have, uh, what, nine games to go. Uh, and it looks like Zach Wilson, you look at him, difference between game one and game two where there were no pick sixes, and it kept BYU in the game, and they were in striking distance, and then they make the play at the end, tie it, and win it, obviously. Is that going to be the key for him is to avoid the turnover going forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I, when, I, when I look at the difference between game one and game two, uh, the game plan was a little bit more simplified for him, which I think was a good idea when you're going against a P5 conference team. There's just a lot of speed and a lot of moving parts. And I I also thought that Utah did a better job of moving him off of his spot than Tennessee did. And when 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 Zach can get in the flow and when he can get into a rhythm, he's, he's really tough. And so, to me, getting a couple of screen passes, a couple of short passes early in the game, against USC, against Washington for the rest of the year, when he gets into that rhythm, he's a really, really good quarterback. And the other thing that I thought was impressive was after a game where you throw two pick sixes that you come and you play a solid, you played a solid game at Tennessee. I mean, none of these stats that he's putting up right now, are, he's not totally happy with it. He's not going, oh, geez, man, I'm lighting up these teams. I'm playing really good. But he's starting to understand how important it is at the quarterback position to take care of the football, how important it is to get good, solid completions early in the game. And then, you know, 
to me, psychologically and mentally tough-wise, what he did last game is exactly what you want out of a quarterback. You know, it's it's the guy who's down four points with two minutes to go in the game, and he can drive you down the field and get you a touchdown to win it, um, no matter how bad the game's been up to that point. And I think I think Zach has some of that factor to him where it doesn't really matter how much time is left on the clock. It doesn't really matter to him what's happened previously in the game or previously in the season. He has some he has some it factor to him that, that he can go make a play and get you down the field and get you in the situation that they were in last week at Tennessee. Fresno State ran for 206 yards against USC. Stanford uh, ran for 98 yards. Now, I know you got sack yardage mixed in there, so that's a factor too. But you get the point. USC tightened up the act a lot week two. Do you think BYU is going to be able to run the ball, or is Zach going to have to throw it because the run game gets stuffed? Um, I think... This, this is what this is what I'm still I'm still struggling with right now with BYU. I I was super frustrated last game that Georgia State had run for 200 and something yards against Tennessee, and within the first three series at BYU, they they'd hardly run the ball at all. Like it wasn't even it didn't it almost felt like it was an afterthought to run the ball, and I was really surprised about that because you would think with an offense coordinator that's an offensive lineman. That, that they would really want to pound the rock. And they, and they did later in the game, and they did in the overtime, and that's kind of what ended up winning the game for them. So I'm confused as to what they think their identity is right now because I think all of us look at it. I think BYU fan looks at it. I think you and me and PK, we all we all look at it and go, oh, if you just run the ball with Tyson Williams, like it's going to set up a lot of things for you. But I don't feel like that was the game plan at all when they were – when they were coming into the Tennessee game. So it's kind of dependent on the way the coaches decide they're going to attack. Um, if they come out and they say, look, we're going to run the ball. We're going to set up, we're going to set up the pass this week. And they're able to establish some sort of running game early in the game. I think that'll bode well, but my gut feeling tells me that they're going to come out. They're going to try and throw it around and they're going to try and, and, and that this is Zach Wilson's team and that that's their identity. And so if they do only rush for 100 yards, it's going to be a long day. If they can rush for 150, they can rush for 150 yards, it's going to be a really close game, and they're going to have a chance to win it. Riley, we appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining us here for a few minutes, and we will talk to you again next week. Talk to you soon, guys. Thank you. Love being on your show. Riley Jensen, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Air. They're looking for skilled HVAC technicians, plumbers, and electricians to join the Action Superhero team. Paid training, health, dental benefits, and a 401k match. Call today and join the Action Plumbing Superhero team. 801-833-3333. That's Action Plumbing. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Ryan Leaf, host of uh, Believe in Pac-12 Football on the Believe Podcast Network. The conference, I believe, it, from top to bottom, is as competitive as any conference out there. And they just beat the hell out of each other and cannibalize one another. And it's not an excuse. My biggest qualm about the Pac-12 right now is the, their inability to win the games they're supposed to win. That they can't lose. You know, UCLA can't lose to Cincinnati. They can't lose to San Diego State. You know, Oregon State and Arizona can't lose to Hawaii. 
but that stuff can't happen. Uh, that's why I like that Utah is so highly ranked right now, and they continue to go up if they keep winning because they need to be in the conversation when the college football playoff committee starts putting out their picks. Otherwise, the Pac-12 just will not get noticed. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Lincoln Kennedy from the Pac-12 Networks, also the Oakland Raiders analyst. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. I'm thinking your sleep's messed up all week because I'm figuring (laughs) Saturday night, you're a Washington Husky, so you had to stay up to the end of the game. I mean, PK and I stayed up, so I figure you did. And then you get a late night Monday night football broadcast with the Raiders. You're just, you're all messed up, aren't you? Well, uh, yeah, I was, I was thrown off. I guess the, the only good that came out of it is I had to do the NAU-U of A game uh, Saturday night. So the fact that the Huskies and, and Cal didn't finish up till late, I was able to listen to it on the drive back up to Phoenix. Uh, got about, to, what, about 1.30 in the morning, I think it took me to get home, and that was the, to the end of the game. But, yeah, the sleep is a little thrown off. Man. <laughs> Just trying to catch up now. And plus you did uh, ASU Sac State. And one of the things yeah. I wanted to ask you about is this blind, inside uh, block rule because the Devils had a couple of times and one negated a touchdown and it didn't look like it had any uh, effect on the play. What is going on here as far as is, I guess this is a new rule, a new emphasis anyway on these blindside tackles? Could you explain that? Because it might come to pass in one of Utah's games and our fans are going to be thinking, what is that all about? Yeah, well, the best way, I mean, I wish it was, it's really hard, difficult to, to show it on, uh, or talk about it on the radio, but, but if you can imagine um, the, the, the infamous decleters, when you really, you know, what it calls, like we used to get, calling football, I made them blow a snot bubble or something, or I, I knocked, the, knocked the crap out of them. Um, it's like that. So the, the blind side rule, if the guy, if, the, if the, the person who's being blocked does not have sight of the blocker coming, and they are level. They are basically knocked down. They're going to call it. They're they're, they're trying to promote safety. I understand the, the the meaning of the rule, and I understand what they're trying to get. But they're you know you think of a let's say a quick screen, a slip screen where a receiver comes inside to crack a linebacker. Well, the linebacker is focused either on the running back's responsibility, the quarterback, or the offensive line. He doesn't see the right receiver coming, and all of a sudden the receiver you know decletes him knocks him on his tail. They're going to call that. And that's what happened in ASU. Uh, and you know, there, were, there were a couple of times um, in, during the game where, you're right, there, we didn't even see it because it wasn't in the direct view. So there really wasn't any need for it. But ASU got a couple of players of ASU got in trouble for that. You know, I just, I, I get the intent. I get what they're trying to do. But watching that unfold, I'm thinking, I saw a guy decleat in a flag football intramural game. I mean, those hits are so tempting. But also, they look like big hits because you're using the other person's momentum against them. Can right. you shove a guy with your hands? I mean, if you hit him with your shoulder, you can really deplete him. I get that. But even if you shove him with your hands, you could send him, you know, flying you know, head over feet, and are you going to get flagged for that? It puts the refs, it can put the refs in a pretty tough spot. But the refs feel that if you if you use your hands, they'll allow you to use your hands because they 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 feel by the letter of the rule, it doesn't have promote as much force as you using your shoulder or your helmet. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And, and I get that when your arms are outstretched, it's an easy call, and when you really hit them with the shoulder, I just wonder if we're going to end up with these gray area calls over time and they're going to drive people Well, you know, there's, like I said, the two instances in the ASU game where we did, I, I didn't even see it in, in direct view, and I had to wait for the replay to go over and see, oh, that's what they were talking about because they called it. So the, they're looking for those big, you know, those big nasty hits, but talking with the refs, they said they're more likely to allow you using your hands even on a crack block because they don't think it has approached the same amount of force as someone who's coming in with their shoulder down and decleating a guy. Okay. So we got USC here locally. It's a big couple of weeks because they're playing the Cougars in Provo. And then next week, obviously, they've got the Utes down at the Coliseum. And then earlier this week, we get news that Lynn Swan has been forced out. So I'm wondering, you know, that seems like a big distraction. But on the other hand, and you being the player that you were, you got these guys that that might cause them to take a us against the world type of deal because now it's all this distraction with this. AD and these guys are 2-0 and and it might unify them and bring them into more focus under Clay Helton. How do you see it? Well, I mean, there are a lot of distractions that are going on around SC right now, but for the most part, the fact that they're 2-0 and means that they played above standards uh, in, in, in most people's minds. I mean, coming up with, with BYU this week, if this team is able to get out of this first month, you know, Three, I mean, three and one or what have you, then it's going to be a success, especially going uh, seeing that their starting quarterback has gone down. Now, with that being said, you still have to, to, to go out there and play, and Clay Helton's job is on the line. It's, from everything that I've heard, Clay Helton's job is on the line. Um, but and looking for the next AD, the next AD is probably going to want to try to take the step if they want to fire Clay Helton, where they're going to go, where they're going to make a, a big splash. And I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, with Urban Meyer in Los Angeles, there seems to be a lot of rumors swirling around them, uh, him. So if a, if a new AD comes in and is ready to make that happen, then that's going to you know bode well for a USC faithful because they want to see that big splash at, at head coach, especially if Helton is gone. Right now, I honestly think there are a lot of people in the, in the SC um, uh, wherewithal, the, the rankings, the, the people, higher-ranking people that want to see Clay Helton gone. Um, but, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Slovis, a true freshman, comes in. He plays a hell of a game. And now you've got him going up against BYU. If he does that, you know, after beating Stanford, he, he beats BYU when he 3-0 you know, when the time they face the Utah Utes. And you can't really look at, can't look down your nose at Clay Helton and the, and the job that he's done. So if you were BYU, knowing that he just threw for 377 yards, <laughs> and knowing that there's this endless line of, there's at least three NFL guys backed up by an endless line of 6'3 and 6'4 guys who look talented but just haven't had their chance yet, right. how would you defend them? Do you go get the quarterback? Do you drop eight? Are you doing some, trying to, and maybe you confuse your own guys, but mixing zone and, and man, what are you doing? Well, I think you do all that, but I've always believed when you have young people, whether it's a rookie quarterback in the NFL or a freshman quarterback in college, you do blitz them. And I think things will be different now that you have some film. I mean, it's only one game, but you know, and now that you have some film on Slovis, you know how to sort of attack him and go after him. Like you said, USC is always stacked with athletes. And for the conference standards, it's actually good that USC is fairly relevant in the conversation because it draws attention to the pack. 
However, um, it's it's one of those things where you you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. The fact that not knowing all the details about why Lynn Swan truly set step down and where the future of this program is going, uh, and especially the fact they're being led by a freshman quarterback that really nobody really knew about outside of the West Coast, uh, kind of dimmers that, if that makes sense. So what do I make of the Huskies? You know, they beat up on an inferior competition and their new quarterback looked halfway decent, but obviously it was a completely different story in a bizarre situation with the weather delay and playing until 1.30 in the morning against Cal. Well, let me say this. It's not so much the Huskies that you should think about. It's, it's more of Cal what you should think about. And Justin Wilcox has really put his staple on this defense and identity of his team. Cal's going to be one of those teams that they're not going to light up the scoreboard, but they have a way of shutting you down with a, a, a great secondary, a decent linebacker and core, and more importantly, just an all-around nasty defense that can get after you. Um, the, the problem is when you face teams like that to start the season, it's really you know you're you're really learning about yourself. Uh, it came down was was one you know low scoring game for one. The weather delay and by the time I turned on the TV to watch the highlights in the fourth quarter, I could definitely tell these guys were tired. Nobody's ever stayed up that late playing football, so you can imagine the type of mental fatigue. So I'm not taking anything away from Cal. What Cal did, I'm not even also you know taking anything away from Washington. Washington can rebound, but this also goes pays into what I've always said about this conference. I think this conference is competitive, and I think this conference has the ability to beat up on anyone, no matter who you. Are so it might not bode well for national standards, but that's why I love the competition of this conference as a whole. Okay, so this is one one big week for the Pac-12 to make a splash across the nation. Washington yeah. State's going to Houston on Friday night, and it's on ESPN, so everybody can watch that. Saturday, Stanford's going to UCF. That's on ESPN at 1:30, the same time that USC and BYU are playing on ABC. PK Sun Devils are going to uh, Michigan State. That's on Big Fox at 2 o'clock. So there are going to be a lot of games on. Oh, and I'm leaving out Oklahoma at UCLA at 6 o'clock on Fox. And Texas Tech at Arizona. That's a lot of opportunity there. Is the Pac-12 going to cash in on this? Are they going to embarrass themselves? Are they going to kind of punt, just split it down the middle? What do you think? Well, you know, here's the thing. I think with the the energy, let's start with ASU and Michigan State. ASU is playing a lot of young guys. They will rely a lot of, uh, uh, definitely a lot on their young guys, especially at quarterback position. But the thing is that you kind of have to go through this trial by uh, by fire, if you will. You know, I talked with Herm Edwards last last week uh, before the game. He said, "Look, this is my first year, complete first year under the program, and so it, it's taken me time to build this program the way I want to, recruit the guys that I want to, and they've got an unbelievable, you know, rookie class." Just in, in talking in the quarterback room, I mean, they got three really good uh, recruits that have, you know, said that they want to play with one another. And this day and age with the transfer portal, you don't necessarily see that. So the future is bright for ASU. Now they just need to go out and put on a good performance and fly around. And I think the confidence of having two wins, even though they played a little bit slow uh, against Sac State last week, the confidence of having the wins around them is going to aid them. So I think that that, that bodes well for them in, in fighting in, um, against Michigan State. With that being said, I'm not saying that they're going to be able to go in there and win. I'm just hoping that they make it competitive and make a good showing. They have a chance to win, and obviously you've got to play the game. But, um, you know, I think Michigan State's a little bit more sound and stronger. So being realistic, it's, I'm hoping for it to be a close game. Uh, U of A is, is one I'm concerned with because U of A is still trying to find themselves, especially offensively. Uh, and Texas Tech is, I mean, is, is no juggernaut by any stretch of the imagination. But there are times where, where U of A uh, just allows another 
other team to get the best of them. And, you know, for, for that being said, um, it, it can get into a shootout. When it gets into a shootout, I don't know if it favors U of A, um, but I'm hoping they can establish a running game and keep it, keep it within, um, you know, keep it uh, simple and go out there and have a good alley. But the other teams that you mentioned, yeah, these are games that are going to have some national prominence because it's going to be a spotlight for the conference. Uh, and it's not necessarily like cupcakes, no matter how you look at them. It doesn't matter which team you're talking about. So it is a big deal. Is Washington State just capable of putting up a bunch of points this year, even though they've got a brand-new quarterback because Leach just run this sophisticated offense and people can't defend it very well? Well, we've seen this air raid offense time and time again, so the answer is yes. Uh, they can put on a couple. They can put up some points. Um, but it's almost the thing for Washington State is it's almost been like Big 12 football. Yeah, they can have a whole hell of a lot of offense, but they're not really stopping a lot of people. And so we've also seen, you know, no matter how good this team has looked on the surface, when it comes down to the games that really matter, um, most notably their, their rival Miles Mater UW, they haven't been able to close it out. So for the last couple of years, Washington State could have put themselves probably in the, uh, the football playoff if they would beat UW. They haven't done it. Uh, and, and so those are big games that they have to find a way to win. And then it seems like every time they turn the page, you've got a quarterback who's tossing the ball around uh, and, and, and makes good for this air raid offense. But for whatever reasons, it's something that stops them when they really definitely need it. So Washington State is that team that is capable of running up the scoreboard. It's also that team that's capable of giving up a ton of points behind it. Lincoln, you come on with us every week, and the last couple of times you were on, you've talked about not only USC, you know, Clay Hilton could be in trouble there, but you mentioned that Chip Kelly might have his eye on something bigger. Uh, but they are 3-9, and nine, and now they're 0-2, and it never looked like they were going to beat San Diego State in the second half of that game, yeah. which, which is unacceptable if you're a Bruin fan. I mean, that is just unacceptable. So how is he going to get another job? How is he even going to last there? Has he got young guys like ASU who are about maybe to, to break out? What do you think? He does have young guys. When I, when I look at the roster and I do some research on the young people um, uh, for UCLA, the freshman and sophomore class promotes a positive future. However, you're not helping yourself if you're, I mean, if you're, you're in the spotlight and like this weekend, they're going to take on Oklahoma. I mean, the line is, I think the line is Oklahoma's favored by 23. So it's not, it's not good in any stretch of the imagination. And if you're offensively minded, like, you know, like he is, Chip Kelly is, then the fact that you're, you're rushing, um, you're 126th in the nation in rushing, and you're 102, 102nd in, in passing, Overall, you've got a 127th rating offensively. That does not bode well. With that being said, it's more off of reputation, and it's other programs that, that, that I've heard. I mean, there hasn't been programs in specifics that I heard of, but, you know, Chip Kelly has that reputation of being a coach that can turn a program around because everybody looks at what he did at Oregon. Not taking consideration that when he took over for Oregon, Oregon already had a cupboard full of players. So he, he was able to make them look, look good. And the, the offensive philosophy that he has, where it's sideline to sideline, I'm going to stretch you out, I want to I run the snot out of you, um, is, is, is difficult. Um, but it's, it's, a pro, it's, a, it's an idea that a lot of people like to see and, and think that their team could do well with it. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Networks, and the Oakland Raiders analyst joining us every week here on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Lincoln, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. See you next week.
PK, what? I can hardly wait for what? I, mean, I think that uh, Riley Nelson and Riley Jensen both had good things to say, and Lincoln Kennedy had interesting stuff. But the question of the day is, what are you going to be doing in 2034 when BYU and Boise <laughs> State play their last game of that 10-game rivalry? <laughs> and you have been linking Kyle Whittingham to Boise or Provo, wherever the game's played. Okay, so he'll be at the game. I want to know why he'll be and 75 often, years old. He'll be at the game. Often when you do this. I kind of have an idea where you're going. And legitimately this time, I have no idea where you're going. I'll tell you. So I am ready on the other side of the break to find out why you're linking those. And then we can discuss with the people some of the stuff that Riley and Riley and Lincoln just shared with us. Okay. It's also Win Tickets Wednesday, Yacht notifies me, so we'll be giving away good stuff. Giving away tickets coming up next. Concert tickets. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Godsmack's hitting the road this fall with special guest Hailstorm. Your chance to rock with them live is Wednesday, October 9th at USANA Amphitheater. Tickets are on sale now. Purchase your tickets at LiveNation.com. This is your chance to win tickets. Win. It's a win ticket Wednesday. Wednesday. Caller number 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE. You'll win tickets right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Two tickets to Godsmack right now. 855-340-ZONE. Be caller 12. 855-340-ZONE. It's a win ticket Wednesday. If you don't win right now, stay tuned throughout the day. There'll be more tickets available on a win tickets Wednesday. All right, PK. Pull back the curtain. Kyle's going to be at that game. Yeah. Because? Boise, BYU, 2034. Uh, he will have come out of retirement, no. and he'll be coaching. Oh. No, 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 no. No, no, that's not it. That's not he it. He will be broadcasting for ESPN. I don't see him doing broadcasting. I don't either. I mean, he could do it, but I don't He know. will be parking the jet skis and the snowmobile, putting the golf clubs away. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And watching college football. He'll be at that game. I'm getting closer to the truth. He'll be at that game. I'll give a penny to anybody who can come up with it in the next minute. Do you have one of his uh, grandkids being the right age to play in that game? Uh, maybe so. I don't know. It's not what I was thinking. No. But you're you're getting warmer. I'm getting warmer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On this cold first day of winter. His brother will be a head coach, and he'll be at the game rooting him on in some consulting role. Warmer. <laughs> I'm getting warmer? Yeah. I'm inching towards the truth. And Absolutely. I'm not playing around. I really have no idea. PK's giving me getting, no hint getting, on this. You're getting very much warmer, but it's not a brother. A son, a cousin, a nephew? Start with the first <laughs> word. 
you just said. Son. Yes. Okay. His son's going to be the coach of BYU. All right. <laughs> He's gotten into coaching. Everybody here wanted Andy Reid. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, Andy Reid's not coming. He's an NFL guy. He's an NFL guy. And he's, he's had all a, sorts of success. He's got a good thing going, At multiple right? places. Right. So he's a heck of a coach. Hey, would you like to go recruit 16-year-olds, Andy? Uh, At his not, age? Not really. Yeah, he's 60 <laughs> Thanks, yeah, but yeah. Uh, no thanks. And he's got a star in the... He already is a star. Not a star in the making, but already a star. It's a blow with uh, Tyreek Hill getting injured, but you know, I'd rather have the quarterback and let the receiver get hurt. I mean, Mahomes looks like he's all that, for sure. Well, on his staff is Kyle's son. So it's the next best thing. You can't get Andy Reid, get Kyle's son. So in 15 years, he's going to be in his mid-40s. That's prime Bingo! time to get That's a head prime. coaching that game. Is, that is the right age. Right? 30s. Oh, he's a young guy. 50s. He finally got his shot. Yeah. But in the 40s, that's that's when a lot of guys get their Yeah. Shot. So he'll be like 43, 44 years old at that point. There it is. He's going to be coaching BYU. The Whittinghams make a glorious second coming. <laughs> the return. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Yes. <laughs> Get the trumpets out. Yes. Right. So, of course, he's going to be there. Okay. And he's said many times, blood is thicker than water. Waiting now. Waiting now for Twitter to explode with, he'll be at the U. Don't kid yourself. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You get this head coaching job. Their pool is limited. He fits the qualifications, among other things, that you need. I'm, I'm calling it right now. 77-year-old Urban Meyer will have returned to the U by then. <laughs> <laughs> Urban. Come on, you like the thought of that. No, You'd stick around for an extra few years to see the return of Urban. He's, he's not going to come back and coach at Utah. I wouldn't think so. But that's my prediction. In 2034... Whittingham will be coaching in, at BYU, and Kyle will be there at the game. There it is. It's plausible. I'll give you plausible. Kid's going to – Kyle was telling me over the summer, uh, he whatever the young man is, his name's Alex, um, although it's actually Kyle. It goes by his middle name, so he, Kyle Whittingham coaching. Hold on, Kyle Jr.? Uh, I believe that's his, for real, that's his first name, yeah. Okay. But he goes by Alex. I've known the kid since he's eight years old. Great kid. Uh, so Kyle was telling me over the summer that whatever role he has, and I forget what it was, he's the youngest to do that in the NFL. Quality control? Something. Uh, yeah. I, don't know. I think it, linebackers, defense, uh, I don't know specifically what it is. but and, and, and because I've known the kid literally since he was a boy, you could see that the kid was going to be in the football realm somehow. He just had that whole thing about it. And he needs some breaks because he kept repeatedly getting injured in high school and never got any breaks with health. I think in one game, he got injured in the first series of the first game, and it was out for the whole season, if I remember correctly. So he's going to get some good luck coming his way. I know it. Watch. The kid. kid's going to be a head coach somewhere down the line. Alex Whittingham enters his second season as a defensive assistant with the Chiefs. Prior to joining the coaching ranks, he appeared in 44 games as a linebacker at the University of Utah. 2013 to 17, so it's up to date. Sometimes you find old web stuff online, but it's up to date. His second year with the Chiefs now. So that's my there prediction. There it is. There's the career arc. 2034. Head coach BYU. Yeah. And Tom Homo Jr. will hire him. I don't even know if there's a Tom Homo Jr. I just <laughs> made that up. 
don't, don't let the facts get in the way of a good segment, PK. I know he has some children, obviously. Um, but I don't think any of them are in sports. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know his children. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.